Hey, and welcome to the Joy Church Podcast. If you'd like more information, check us out at www.joychurchnh.com or visit us in person at 55 Barnstead Road, Pittsfield, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy and are blessed by this message. And now on to this week's sermon. Good morning, Joy Church. All right, we can do better than that. Good morning. Good morning. All right, if you're here, you're definitely alive, you're breathing. God has given you the chance, uh, another opportunity to be alive. So I want you to give out a resounding amen when I say praise God, because we all have something to praise Him for. If for nothing else, we're alive today. So you ready? Praise God. Amen. All right, we can do better than that. Praise God. Amen. All right, I'm really excited and nervous to be up here. Um, when I was asked to do this the first time, you know, I kind of just like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I, I didn't think much about it. I just blew it off. And the second time somebody suggested, I said, well, you need to be careful to obey. What do you have to lose? And God did give me a message to share today. So I said, well, God, if I'm going to do it, then you need, you need to hold me up, up there. So I thank God for the opportunity. And like, uh, Bob said, I thank God for our leadership that is willing to give that opportunity to others to try out things they've never tried before. So, exciting, exciting topic today, growing up, all right? So, how many of us here are parents or aunts, uncles, grandpas, grandmas? All right, most of us, all of us, all right? So, I don't think there's anyone who births a baby or has a baby and they expect them to be babies all their lives, anyone? Not me. I'm glad my kids are not toddlers anymore. I do not miss that age. So there's a cycle. A baby is born. We expect to feed them, give them what they need. At some point, we do expect them to do those things for themselves. Feed themselves, walk on their own. At some point, to get their jobs. I don't know if get their own jobs and move out. I don't know if that's happening as much as it should be happening. All right, so there's an expectation. It's the same thing with a farmer. When you plant you don't expect the seed to stay underground the whole time. You expect it to, you feed it. There are some things you do. You might look up some things, but you expect it to grow and produce crop, whatever that is, all right? So it's the same with our Christian walk, all right? So the question today is, as a Christian, are you an infant, teenager, or an adult, all right? So that's the growing up we're going to start looking at. So our anchor... Um, Uh, anchor verses are going to be, books are going to be First John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. So I'll just give you a minute to get there. First John chapter And this is what it says. So this is just a general overview of where today's message will be anchored. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. This is what it says. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. So Paul here is writing to... Uh, to the children, all right? So that is the new believers. You know, you just came into Christ. And then there's the young men. 
And when I was looking this up, it pointed to like teenagers, young men. You're not, you're not an infant. You, you started out, you're a little bit along the way. And then there's the fathers, which the adults. You have known God from the beginning. You have let him change your life. And now you're probably pouring out into other people. So that's what, are you an infant, teenager, or adult? The other um, anchor book is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. So the first letter to the Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. And this is what it says. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not hu mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seeds, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who is watering is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So Paul is telling us about this church in Corinth. Uh, remember, he starts out by calling them brothers and sisters. So he tells us they're already believers, all right? But he goes on to admonish them, you know, all the quarreling and bickering about, you know, who's, who's doing better, jealousy. And he is saying, what does that matter? We're all a team in God's field. Whatever we do is all planting. God creates the growth, all right? So where does this journey start? Just like a baby is... is point of inception, in vitro, and born, we start out at salvation. And a little, the Bible calls this the helmet of salvation. Now, why is it a helmet? So Luke 10, uh, 19, 10 says, Jesus came to seek and save. And save means to deliver out of danger, to safety, heal, to rescue, to preserve. He came to save the world. So why a helmet? Because at the point of salvation, the Bible says our minds need to change. Our mindset needs to change. So what do we use the helmet for? You've heard stories of, you know, how somebody's life was saved because they were wearing a helmet. Sometimes it's this little thing, you know, maybe you're bicycling. It's little, but the protection is great. So that's the same idea of a helmet for a Christian. It covers uh, our head. It covers our mind. It covers our thoughts. Ephesians 6.17 uh, part A says, put on the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet of salvation look like? Helmet of salvation. You acknowledge that God is God. You acknowledge that you are a sinner. You have made mistakes. You acknowledge that he died to, and took those mistakes for you. And you ask him to forgive you, come into your heart, and not only live in you, but live through you. So, when salvation happens, God's plan was not, now you're saved, let's wait for heaven. No, there's an in-between. So God wants you to get saved, but he does not want to leave you the same. He says in Colossians 1.13, God has rescued us from the dominion or control over of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 
In Ephesians 1.13, he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So at salvation, once you wear that helmet, you're all these things. You're separated. So all your thoughts, all your mindset should be under God's control. Now, often when you see someone wearing a helmet, it will signify something. If it's anything to do with military, it might say what their rank is. It might represent what the army, uh, what the army is that they fight for. And it's the same. Once we wear the helmet of salvation, we live under, we acknowledge, we declare that we're living under the banner of the kingdom of God and that the one who has dominion over us, over me, over you, is God. So... And then, once salvation happens, this is where the battle begins for the control of your mind. Now, we know the battle has already been won, but the war continues. Our minds become the battleground. The devil would love for us to stay ignorant and not educated about what happens at salvation. It's more than just being forgiven and having an assured place in heaven. God meets us in our mess when we accept him, but like I said, he does not want us to stay there. How do we know this? Because he tells us in Hebrews 6, 1, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not, leaving a, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. So he says, you get saved, the journey begins here. So it's not time to sit and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back, all right? So he says, the elementary things at the beginning, that's what we're infants. We just got into it. But from there, he says, grow on to maturity in Christ. Now, God pointed out three pillars that are important to becoming a mature Christian. I mean, there's a plethora of them, but these are the ones he pointed out. So you start out at salvation. Then the first big pillar of maturity as a Christian is God's word. The Bible calls it a sword. So you notice here, when you think of the armor of God, why an armor, it's connotation of war. So it goes back to after salvation, the war begins. So everything it talks about, you know, the armor, the helmet, those are all pieces that people wear when they're going to war. So God's word, Luke 8, 5, 8, it's a parable of the sower. And it explained that, you know, some hear the word and they lose it. Others hear it. They retain it. Others hear it. They not only retain it, but they let it live through them and they persevere and they produce crop. Who are the mature people? All right. So, and then 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, and for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every work. So in God's word, we have everything we need in, for this journey. In God's word, he reveals himself. He tells us his character, his nature. And I just want to read through. There's a song I used to listen to. Uh, it, he is by Geoffrey Aaron. And it goes through the book of the Bible, and it tells you in each book what God is, how God is represented, his character. And this is what it says. 
In Genesis, he is the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation choice. Judges, he is a lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he is true and a faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he is Mordecai's courage. In John, the timeless redeemer. In Psalm, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he is the call for sin. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he is the spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he is the Lord our Savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he is pleading for revival. In Haggai, he is re restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising and healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, and Messiah. In the book of Acts, he is fire from heaven. In Romans, he is the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of death. In Ephesians, he is our glorious treasure. Philippians, the servant heart. In Colossians, he is the Godhead Trinity. Thessalonians, our coming king. First Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John and in Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. In Revelations, he is a living King of kings and Lord of lords. So when you are in God's word, he reveals to you what his character and his nature is. God's word renews our minds so that our minds, our thinking is in line with what he says. Our perspective, our worldview in every area of our lives. Romans 2.12 tells us, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. I remember my first teaching job was second grade class and one of the paperwork you had to present was a statement of faith. And when I was looking at this, I said, that's exactly what it is. It's not just something that is up here. It's in your daily life as a teacher. What is, as you teach, what is your worldview? Whether you're teaching math, science, what is your, how is that connected to you as a believer, as a Christian? And because I thought sometimes we think, you know, this is up here, we're down here. No, it's God's word, not just in you, but impacting you. Because when your life collides with God's word, there is no option but transformation. Uh, I remember, I was trying to remember, was it? geography, I know here it's social studies, you know how the fold mountains are formed, you know, tectonic plates knock against each other and poof, a fold mountain. And I was thinking that's exactly what it is with God's word. If you really are in it and those two collide, your life and God's word, there's no other choice, poof. I mean, you'll be 
your life will be different. And that was the best way I could think of how God's word changes you. The third thing that God's word does, it, it exposes evil and sin as we engage with it. What is not in accordance with God's ways is exposed and we repent and out of God's grace and mercy, we are allowed back in. How do we know this? Ephesians 5.13, this is what it says. But all things are made visible when they are exposed by the light of God's precepts. For it is light that makes everything visible. Then we, when we repent, and repentance, the word for it in Greek is metanoia. It means absolute surrender to God as sovereign. So not just sorrow, not just a little bit of regret, but 180 degree turn. So you hear people giving a testimony and say, this is what I used to do. Don't do that anymore. So 180 and God's word lets us know what are those parts in our lives that we need to do a 180. All right. Because we all know. Because a lot of this is choice. We all know. I always tell my students, uh, you know, they'll come in and say, oh, I didn't do the homework. And I'm going, yeah, the dog ate the homework. I mean, there's a gazillion of excuses. And I always tell them, you know, it is what you make it. You know, you choose not to do it. You can't give me an excuse. Bottom line is you still didn't do it. But it is what you make it. All right. So as a believer, it truly is what we make it because we have been equipped. We, we just read from salvation. You have been equipped with everything that you need for successful Christian living. And then Matthew 3, 8 and continuing with uh, God's word revealing sin in our lives. Uh, Matthew 3, 8 says, do those things that will show that you have turned away from your sins. So that 180 all right, I know my own kids, they get tired of me saying this, you know. I'll say, hey, I told you to do this. Or I'll say, I told you to stop doing this. And I'd say, I did. I'm like, what I see doesn't tell me that you did. So I say, show me. Don't tell me. When I see it, I will know it's happened. It's like, you know, elementary and kindergarten, show and tell. You know, you bring your little thing and you give a story on it, show and tell. God is saying, don't just tell, show. Let me see the change in your life. The 180, there's definitely a, different, a difference in your life. So there's an action required of us, all right? So repent. If you notice, a lot of action verbs here. Repent, Acts 3.19. Repent, then turn to God so that he will forgive your sin, sins. So God's word has a lot of, I think most of the times we look over what's expected of us. We have high expectations of what we want God to do in our lives. But we kind of want to minimize the responsibility. It's like, God, man, I need for you to come through in my finances. Well, I, I don't budget. But I kind of look over that. I just want you to come through. All right? But I'm not budgeting. So little things that God has already instructed us, this is what you need to do for this to happen. So we have a responsibility in it. We can't just, you know, have this, we want the benefits and we neglect to play a part. I remember uh, growing up in Kenya, uh, I was still in youth, but I remember our pastor always used to say, and it used to baffle me then, you know, people would come to him with questions, and he would not answer them, and he would say, that's what I do every Sunday. When you come and sit in that pew, that's what I'm doing. So when you come to the side and you're asking me this question, they said, I already taught on that. And it's also in the Bible, so you can look it up. I already taught you. So when I was thinking that, I said, this is probably what he was doing. It's like there's a part that is your responsibility, all right? So you have been taught, now go do. Now, there are some things that stand in the way of us obeying the word. And one big one is 
we become too familiar with it. I know I, I've been there many times. I don't know if I'm the only one. And you're going, oh, I know that verse. Oh, I'm familiar with that verse. Like you have the head knowledge. You could quote it. You, I mean, you have things memorized. But your life, no show, no, sig no significant change from what you know. So God is saying... That needs to change. Galatians 5, 19, 21, it says the acts of the flesh. It talks about the acts of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And for my life, one way I find it easy to gauge where I am is the fruits of the spirit. Just in your daily walk. Like how am I reacting to things that are happening at work, at home? You know, when I snap at somebody, I'm like, ah, is this really what's going on? Is it something else? So for me, that really helps to gauge what was my reaction to that person who ticked me off. Yeah, I remember one time um, something was going on at work and I really didn't want to, you know, this one teacher and I'm like, I'm just not going to say hi to him. But we were in meetings, you know, there's just four of us in that team. So you'd always, I mean, so it's going to be significant if so-and-so is not talking to so-and-so. So I'm thinking, so I go to one of the teachers and I say, I think so-and-so is avoiding me. I said, I, I don't think so. And I'm thinking, no, I know. I bumped into them at this corner and they kind of looked away. They didn't want to say hi. So I said, in my head, I said, well, they don't want to say hi to me. I'm not going to say hi to them. So that evening I come home. It went on for a few days. And then, you know, the Spirit was telling me, so what's the difference between you and them? Just you're saved, but your behavior is the same. And I'm going, I'm not, I'm going to ignore that one. So the next day I go to work. And usually like in the hallway, my class is here. It's a long hallway and his class is like the other end. So we hardly ever meet unless we're in meetings. That one day, he's all the way from his section. And for whatever reason, he's somewhere around my door. And I'm going, okay. Are you going to do something different? Are you going to be the one to go and say good morning? And I'm like, I'm going to my computer. And I said, okay, God, I don't want to, but will me, will me. And I went up and I said, good morning. And he was like, good morning. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. So one little thing, I don't always do that. But God already instructs us. He's already told us. So he is saying, if the only difference between you and an unbeliever is that you're saved, that's not enough. It, your life needs to be evident of God in your life. That needs to be your, 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 the way you live needs to be what shows that you're a believe, believer. And then uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.5, remember I said we're already equipped for successful Christian living through God's word. How do we know this? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5 says this, we're enriched by God in every way with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, Therefore, we do not lack any spiritual gift. Therefore, we should act like mature Christians. And this is what was the problem with the, with the church in Corinth. They had been taught the word because Paul starts out by congratulating them and how wise they are, how much truth they know. But then, boom, he goes on and says, but you know this, but look at the way you're acting. It's not in accordance with what you know in your head. So he is saying they had jealousy. They were arguing, you know, who's doing better work? And he's going, no, what's the difference between you and an unbeliever? When you have God in you, your life should show a difference. Now, the other uh, key principle that God uh, put in my heart to share. So there's the word of God for essential to grow spiritually. The other one is prayer. And he said, not just prayer. And he said, put fasting in there. 
And I thought, oh, man. But I said, I will obey and put it on there. So he said, prayer and fasting. Now, how do we know we're supposed to pray? In Matthew 6, 5 and verse 7, you know, God starts when he's teaching about the Lord's prayer. He starts out by saying, and when you pray. So when means it should be customary. It's something we should be doing. And when you pray, then he says this is what you should do and this is what, how you should pray. Then he goes on to say, Again, and when you pray, this is what you shouldn't do. You know, don't be like the Pharisees who go up there and, you know, out loud, you know, how great they are and how I'm praying for the sinner right here. So he tells us when we pray, which tells us it should be part of our life to pray if we're following after Christ. He tells us what to do, what not to do. And then in uh, verse 7 of the same chapter, Matthew 6, he goes, and when you fast, this is how not to do it. And when you fast, this is how to do it. So he says, you know, when you fast, don't look all gloomy. You know, there's all indication that something is missing. No, he says, don't do it that way. But when you fast, again, that word when, it means it's something we should be doing. Not just praying, but praying and fasting. Now I know there's been lots of debates on fasting. And growing up for the longest time, I thought, you know, food was the only way you could fast. But now, you know, with medical conditions, and I mean, you could fast anything. It's just a show of humility that you're abstaining from feeding your human self for spiritual benefit. So you could fast, what, TV? If you can't fast food, TV. Coffee, how many coffee drinkers? I'm a tea drinker. My kids, you know, when I'm running out of tea bags or be at the store, they're like, Mom, get your coffee bags. I'm like, what? Because if you don't have your tea... You'll go crazy. You know, they say that, and I'm like, is that what I look like? So, I mean, you have your beverage of choice. I understand when, you know, before I have that cup of tea, I'm not really awake. And we even confess it. I'm like, oh, not yet. I need to have my cup of tea. Once I have that, you can come to me. So God is saying, that thing, that it needs to be a sacrifice. Because like we said, salvation is free. So many things that forgiveness, grace is free, but there's a part with play. So there are some things that God says, you know, prayer, you got to add this fasting to make the prayer life effective. So social media, gosh, you can fast that. TV. I mean, how many things that if you just look at your day and how many, how you section out your time? Spending. I used to be a spender in high school. Thank God he saved me from that. I have a friend who still does not believe I can go to the mall and not buy anything because that used to be I would walk in and an easy $300. So I joke, I said, man, I'd, be, I'd have quite a chunk of money if I didn't that, have that habit. But it was not in my power because, I mean, I, it had to have been God because I did not do it on my own. So what is that thing that you can give up to boost your prayer life and see a change in your, in your life. Remember when Jesus was casting out, uh, he cast out uh, an unclean spirit from a boy and the disciples came to him and said, how come you were able to do it and we were not able to do it? And he goes, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. So there are some things you can push through all you want, but unless you go on your knees, you know, they say the way up is down. So you gotta be on your knees for you to go up. Uh, and there's just no option. Some things just need prayer, and the fasting uh, shoots it ahead. So Jesus gives us this pattern of prayer and fasting. 
And if we say we're his followers, the expectation is that we follow, we do as he did. Why? Because a war. First Peter 5, 8 and 9a say, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. You cannot resist him if you're not in God's word. And if you're not praying, because show me a prayerless Christian and I'll show you a powerless Christian. I mean, don't you even know in your own life sometimes if you're not praying about something, it feels like, I mean, it's taking all human energy that you, and nothing is happening. Like, you know it. You know when you're not praying, you're just trying, oh, I can call so-and-so. Oh, I have this resource that I can use. But God says, you know, you're prayerless, you're powerless. So it's, it's just as simple as that. You're not praying. There's not going to be power in a lot of things in our lives. And then, so how do we make all this growth happen? So his word tells us all these things. We cannot do it on our own. Because Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the other key, this is the one that engulfs all the others, is Holy Spirit fire. Holy Spirit, fire, Holy Spirit, power. John 14, 16 tells us, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit is our helper. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So for our hope to be hopeful, I mean, the world we are living in, if we are to be hopeful, hopeful for anything, it's not by our own power because the powers outside of us are so great, only in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit can you overcome all those pressures. Whether you're an adult, you're a teenager, a preteen, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit can help us overcome. And then in Jude 120, the Holy Spirit assists us in prayer. He instructs us. He reveals God to us. He enlightens our spiritual eyes to see the ways of God. He makes us wise. And he helps us to surrender our lives completely to God. So when you surrender your will to God, you surrender your soul. What is the soul? Intellect, what you think, emotion, and what else? Um, will, what I want. So, I mean, when you think about the things we struggle with, it's what I think, what I want, and what I want. But we always want our way. I mean, think about um, the Holy Spirit. It's almost like he takes the national channel. It's like he gives you your own local. So you come to church and the message up here, you know, that's corporate. But for you, I mean, sometimes... This is what you need. This is what you need. So that's all the Holy Spirit. So you don't just come to church as an event. You come and you actually go back and your life has changed based on what you heard on the pulpit. Because we, remember the beginning we said God's power is getting your own private channel by the Holy Spirit just for you. So where do you and I fall in our walk with Christ? Are you an infant, teenager, or an Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives 
on milk is unskilled in the world. They're insecure, dependent. But the thing about dependency is you don't feed them. They'll cue you when they're hungry, right? And you'll know when to feed them. They're not very steady in everything, in walking. They can't hold things on their own. We know they're like little life bombs. They're just ready to explode. So in essence, a, an infant is a parasite. They're dependent on people for everything. Aren't we like that sometimes? What are we paying them for? Oh, I don't need to call this person. That's what we pay the pastors for, right? They, they can do the pastoral, you know, we call them the pastoral duties, all right? So when you're an infant, somebody else's job. I just want to come in. You feed me. Just me, all right? So God is saying, when, don't be a parasite. Don't be an infant, all right? But there are some things that, you know, for you, in some areas of your life, you're an infant, all right? So... Your infancy might be somebody else's maturity or teenagehood. All right, so let's look at a teenager. Roller coaster. When you think of a teenager, roller coaster. Ups and downs, peaks and valleys. All right, they know what they should do, but they do the exact opposite. So, for what is key for a teenager? Perseverance. You know, sometimes I say, How long is this? section of life gonna last you're like you know just well just go through it go through it so that's a teenager I mean it's it's not one thing or the other sometimes you're like that as Christians you know this one weak area and you just keep dropping in the same ditch dropping in the same ditch what is missing so ask for yourself which areas of your life are you an, still an infant which ones are you still you're in and out you're in and out you know I'm gonna get somebody to pray for me I'm, I'm gonna do this but then you end up in the same ditch, ditch, so teenager. And then we have the adults, the mature Christians. And Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So right there, how do you become mature? There's constant practice. So it doesn't happen by magic. There's practice. Perseverance. So, what does a mature Christian looks like, look like? They saturate, infuse themselves with God's Word. So, they're constantly in God's Word. They're constantly in prayer, all right? When they make their choices, doesn't matter how small, they line it up with God's Word because they know it. See, when you don't know God's Word, you're not able to recall it at a moment's notice to be able to use it. So, no wonder our lives become powerless because, you know, you get into that situation, you have no idea what God's word says about it because you don't know it. But once you know it, you're able to apply it. So any choice you make, God's word, it's in line with God's word. Mature Christians, they seek out ways in which they, which they can get better with God. So, and it doesn't mean, you know, you're in every Bible study. Again, the spirit gives you discernment because then again, you don't want to do it as work because that, again, might jeopardize you becoming mature if you're just serving for the heck of it, you know? It's what's your gifting, then you go serve in that area. You don't have to be in all areas. So, as you think about your own life, as I think about my own life, what are some areas where you're still an infant, some areas where you're still a teenager, in and out, and then some areas where, based on your own actions, you feel, this one area, I am mature. And you find that mature Christians, this is where you're able to pour into somebody else. 
you're able to walk alongside somebody else and you're helping them out, whether with prayer, something that has been successful in your own life as you walked with God, or fasting, somebody is new to fasting, you're able to walk alongside them and pour into them. So I will ask uh, Carl to come up, and as we prep for that, this is probably the most important part of the message because this is where you get to act. There's a song we used to sing um, when I was growing up in Kenya, and it, it was about a little pond and that it had ripples in it, but the bottom line idea was that for those ripples to be there, something has to have touched it, something has to have made contact with the pond for the ripples to, to form. So in the same way, if you want that change in your life, where you're an infant, you're, where you're a teenager, the areas you need help with, and, and anything, however small, however big, are you going to take action and co cause those ripples in your life? What needs to be dis the kingdoms in your life that need to come down for God to have dominion over every area of your life? So think of those rooms in your life that you have not yet let God come in and take over. So I'm going to start out by, remember we said, it starts out with salvation. So the first step is you have to be in God's family. So I'm going to just ask us to bow. And I'm just going to say a prayer and we're all going to repeat. And if you're out there or you're watching from home and you have not yet joined God's family, you have not said yes to Jesus yet, this is your chance. Remember, every day you're alive is a new chance for you to join God's family. If you're already in God's family, every brand new day, His mercies are new, is a new chance for you to grow deeper in Him. So as our heads are bowed, um, let's say this prayer. And if it's you that is asking Jesus to be in your heart today, just go ahead and raise your hand and we will repeat this prayer. Be bold. Be courageous. We're told in Joshua 1.9, be bold and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. So don't be afraid. This is your chance to say yes to Jesus. This is your chance to join his family and say yes to him. So if that is you here at home, go ahead and raise your hand. And we're just going to say this prayer together. Dear Lord, I acknowledge that you are God. I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I have made mistakes. I acknowledge that you died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart and live in me and through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of us who are already in the family, like I said, think of those things in your life that are standing in the way of you moving to the next level of maturity. And the ashes are going to come around and they're going to hand you a piece of paper and there should be pens uh, in the back pocket of the seat in front of you and just go ahead and write down those things that you want to give over to God what you think for your life what area have I not matured in what things do I need the Holy Spirit power to just propel me forward go ahead and write them down so as the worship team plays we're going to go ahead and do that. And I'm going to set my own list too because I have my list too of things that I just want Jesus to take over. He says his burden is light. So give up yours and take his light yoke.
And as that song says, the battle belongs to God, not to you. So allow the Holy Spirit fire and power to propel you into victory in all these areas of your life. So if you notice, we have two shredders right up here. So you're giving it up. You're surrendering because a lot of this is choice to surrender. You have to acknowledge this is the area. So you have to call it out. And then you say, Jesus, take it. It's out of my hands. It's into your hands. So if you just want to come up and just shred your piece of paper and back to your seat and just leave it to God, we're going to do that as the worship team continues to play the music. just expose those areas that we need you just will us to to acknowledge those areas and to surrender them to you because they know victory comes without surrender lord we just pray for the things that we shredded the things that we surrendered to you king of glory there's nothing that is impossible for you king of glory and so we release them to you and we ask for your mighty move even as we sang before we have the victory through through you not by our own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit that you sealed us with at the point of salvation. So we ask that even as we experience this power in our own personal lives, that we would see it just to multiply enjoy church as each one of us takes it upon themselves to move to the next level of seeking you of going deeper with you father we pray that and 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 thank you that we shall see the difference not just in our own lives but in our church and in our community that each one of us will take it upon themselves to 
manage their own growth individually and then cooperatively. That, Father, we will not make it somebody else's job. We ask for the strength of your Holy Spirit. We ask for your protection, even as we turn this new chapter of believing you in bigger and uh, mighty ways. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that you go with each one of us, those of us listening from home, that, Father, they will make their decision from that end and just surrender what they need to surrender, uh, what they know they have not surrendered fully to you, that they will just let it go. What they have, we have tried so much over and over uh, to get past, and we can't because we have relied on our own power. We release that to you, that you will just propel us by the power of the Holy Spirit to the next level. And we pray that testimonies will come out of this, of what you have done, because it is not for our benefit. It is all to your glory, to the manifestation of your power. We thank you. We bless you for the rest of the day. Go with us, be with us, and help us to walk in your ways, in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message and were blessed by what you learned. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts or to get more information about our church, head to our website at www.joychurchnh.com. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing with you next Sunday sermon. Until then, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it.